This is Brain Diet, episode number 117. I love so much focusing on the food we feed our body, but I love even more focusing on the stuff we feed our brain. My name is Taylor Ann Macy, and I am a certified life coach. Welcome to Brain Diet, where we feed your brain the best information. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the podcast. I am here in my home, and I'm hooked up to an IV. I don't think I've ever recorded an episode being on an IV. I can't say for certain because it's happened a number of times, but I'm pretty sure that this is the first time. And I'll tell you what, I'm tired. (laughs) I find when I get IVs, and I'm sure it's just dependent upon the drugs that they're putting in my body, but I just get so tired. So a much needed nap will be following this recording here. I had a new symptom come up for me with my autoimmune disease and the treatment for the disease isn't so much proactive as it is reactive unfortunately and so it's a matter of oh we have a new symptom so let's do some things to hopefully lessen the effects of the symptom to decrease the severity of it and uh anyway so that was why I have this IV in my arm home infusion comes to my house and we'll put in the IV and then I'll have it for like three and a half days or something like that. And every time they leave, every time I've had to do this and home infusion leaves, I'm like, are you sure that I'm okay? (laughs) I have something in my arm. What if, what if something goes, are you sure that I'm old enough and responsible enough for you to like leave me here? Cause they give me all the supplies and teach me very well how to do it. But I just feel very incapable as a human when I'm left with this big box of medical supplies and an IV in my arm. I'm certain I'm going to mess it up and do something with very uh, dire consequences. So if you don't hear from me next week, then maybe that's why. Maybe I really did do something wrong with this IV and, uh, you know, met an unfortunate demise. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, No, it's fine. The IV is good. We are working hard to just manage the symptoms. That's kind of the name of the game with this condition. And it's going great. Modern medicine is great. I'm mostly just sleepy. Can't wait to take a little bit of a nap, but I'm not too tired to record. I knew I wanted to sit down. I knew that I was looking forward to doing this episode. So that comes first and then maybe a nap. I'm also really cold. I wouldn't mind like a nice bath, but taking a nap in the bath, probably not the best idea, if you know what I mean. Oh my gosh. Anyway, what are we talking about today? Today's episode is how to make sticking to your diet easier. How do we follow through with a behavior change we're making? And I say the word change because typically what you are accustomed to following through with every day isn't difficult to follow through with. Most of the time, your regular behaviors that have been repeated over and over again, those are not difficult for you to follow through with. And this will relate later as we talk about this, why that's important is the things that maybe used to be difficult to follow through with, but then you did enough times to where now you don't have to think about it. There's a shift that happens there. 
And that same type of shift is what I am working to create some awareness around that then if there is a behavior change you want to make, if there is a dietary change you want to make, then we will have context for how to execute that change and to continue long term following through. So of course, this applies to sticking to a diet. This applies to changing an exercise routine or even beginning exercise or maybe beginning weightlifting, beginning moving your body in a different way, some type of behavior. I'm speaking to it specifically in the health realm, but it applies otherwise that we are looking to change. When it comes to behavior change, there is a difference between finding what works for you long term and continually giving up. Of course, when you are trying to find the type of exercise that is your jam or that you like more than other kinds, it can be a little bit of an experiment. And that's okay to try out a lot of things and to say, based on my experience, here's what I liked most. Thus, I know how I want to move forward. Or with a style of eating, here is how I like to eat the very most. Here is what is easiest for me. And so this is the behavior change that I want to implement long-term. But even with those things that you do enjoy more over others, there are going to be times where you don't want to. There are going to be times where other activities, other styles of eating are more appealing. Now, this in and of itself isn't a problem necessarily, but if you have certain physical goals for yourself, if you have certain standards for yourself, then being able to get through the stick of the I don't want to, that is what's most important. So that balance of, okay, I'm going through these different eating styles, these different exercise, these different ways of moving, and I'm trying to figure out what works for me. But a lot of times we do that as a way of excusing ourselves. So there's something that we try and we can't follow through with it. And so we're like, I just need something new and shiny. I'm bored with this and I don't want to do this anymore. So I'm going to find something different. So we end up giving up on thing after thing under the guise of, oh, but it just wasn't appealing anymore. And again, that's a choice we are allowed to make at any point in time. But learning how to stick through the, I don't want to, learning how to stick to the diet when a different food, a different way of eating would be so much more shiny and novel and quote unquote fun. That is what creates long-term success. So the key, the key difference is with some behaviors, we might be in a mental space where we think, yeah, I, I can do this. And then it ends up being like one or two times right? Where we're, we think I'm going to, I've got this like shiny new thing and I'm committed and I'm feeling determined and motivated. And then we do it one or two times or one or two days or one or two workouts. And then we're like, oh, I'm over it. I don't want to do that anymore. So there's that. There's the initial motivation, the initial commitment, the initial novelty. There's that compared to this is what I do. This is part of who I am. And I'll give you an example of this. My husband, Ben, loves, loves to play chess. He is so good at it. He probably plays, gosh, how many games does he play in a day? He plays like he's got the chess app on his phone and he's got it on his computer and there's something called Bug House where it's like partner chess. I mean, he can play between 15 and 30 games in a day and they're like three minute games. They're not 
long, but it's something that's so important to him and he loves it. And there are times where he'll come tell me about these chess people, you know, Magnus Carlsen, guess what Magnus did? Guess what? Like he'll be sharing these things that are related to chess that are so important to him. And if you were to ask him his involvement in playing chess, his learning about it, his working to improve at the game is because it's part of who he feel like he who he feels like he is. It's part of what resonates with him. It's part of what works for him. Now, me, on the other hand, I don't love chess. I learned to play when I was a kid, but it's not even close to what it is for him. Where I'm like, I don't really care to play chess. There are many other games that I would prefer to play. In fact, sometimes he'll like, I'll watch him play on his phone and I'm like, I've never been so bored in my life. Like I don't, I just don't get the appeal of this game here. But that's, that's the difference. Is part of who I am as a person, of what is important to me as a human and my life, is not the same as it is for my husband. Now, it's not because there's anything good or bad about chess. It is simply because of the identity either of us have created relative to it. So this is the ultimate message behind what we are talking about today is that the difference required to stick to a diet, to make dieting in whatever way you are easier, it has to become a part of your identity. If you struggle to follow through with something, here's what we contend to do sometimes. We will not be able to follow through after a couple of days, couple of weeks, whatever. And we're like, oh, you know what? I must just need to like change the diet. I must need to find something more novel. Or maybe we're like, oh, you know what? Maybe I just don't have enough time. Maybe I just need to do a meal prep service or like hire someone to cook for me, which again, nothing wrong with that. But we start to change things outside of us. Oh, I just need to do more research. Maybe I just don't know enough about what I'm doing because we expect it to just be like magical and easy all the time. So we're like, I must be missing something. I should go online and see what information I can find that makes this so much easier and painless. And I think this is what diet culture, that's that's why the industry is so wildly successful is because you have people that don't know how to get through those sticking points. When you have these diets that, that are sustainable and that are going to be most healthy for you in the long term, but then there are moments where it gets difficult and you'd rather eat off the plan. You'd rather eat different than what you have planned to. That's the sticking point that people play off of, that marketing is built upon is they take advantage of that because you're like, oh, this is just too hard. So then something on the internet promises a quick and painful and like rapid solution where you can just melt the belly fat or lose four dress sizes or like all in a matter of a couple of days, right? I mean, this is, they they know the way our, our psychology works in that when it gets hard, we don't want to stick to it. Now, all of the things, oh, and the last thing, okay, here's another thing that cracks me up well, not cracks me up. I have a lot of feelings about this. But when results aren't coming quick enough, when it's hard to stick to it, when they feel like they don't have a lot of energy to keep going, let's do a cleanse. I know we're going to do a cabbage cleanse where for 10 days, we're only going to drink cabbage juice. If it is not clear, I, I mean, I think that this is just a part of education that is so important, but bodies are built with internal cleansing systems. It's amazing the way that bodies can be put under so much nutritional stress or have lack of what they need and still be able to cleanse through it enough to survive. 
Like there are people that do not get enough vitamins and minerals or adequate macronutrients in a day, and their bodies are still able, able to work through all that crap. So unless a cleanse is being done just for fun, which if you want to, that's fine, but there isn't nutritional value to doing one. And it will not expedite fat loss. It will not, you know, jumpstart your metabolism. That's not what those things do. Cleanses are generally that marketing ploy where it's like, hey, you can, you can lose weight really quick if you do this. And yes, you probably will. But the truth is when you do cleanses, like this cleanse that Kim Kardashian did for the Met Gala with the only eating tomatoes and not eating carbs or sugar, so much of the weight that came off of her body was not fat. It was going to be maybe a little bit of fat, a lot of muscle, some hair loss, tons of water loss. When you do these types of cleanses, your body depletes of water. So that's why people see the number on the scale and they think that there is validity to these cleanses is because the number on the scale goes down. But what happens is the second that you're done with a cleanse and you start to eat more normally, then your body builds up its water stores again. Now, this isn't a bad thing. This is what bodies are meant to do. It's not that you are gaining weight necessarily. It's just that when you eat certain foods, then your body holds on to a little bit of water. It's just the science of it. Anyway, that's kind of me and my rant on that. But th this is what we do. It's like we struggle to stick to our diet. And, and we go to these external rapid solutions. And changing what you're eating, hiring someone, meal prep, like doing more research even, there's a place for all of those things. But here today, if you continue not to follow through with things, if you find that you continually give up, even when you take these outside actions, then I hope that what I have to say can speak pretty clearly to what I see as the problem and what is the potential solution to it. So as I mentioned, the problem is your identity. Now we could break that down as saying who you think you are. The problem lies in who you think you are, which who you think you are is just the sentences you have running through your mind about yourself. Kind of like if you think you are a kind person, if you think you are a happy person, if you think you are a determined person, if you think you're a hardworking person, right? Those are sentences in our mind that we just assign. And we tend to prove them true because however we are thinking about ourselves, because our brain is looking for confirmation to prove that what we're thinking is a useful stream of thought, you will create evidence for it. Even if it's like of your own creation, you it's the subconscious thing, but you will create evidence. Your brain will work to create evidence to prove a, tr a thought true. So that is why your identity feels so close and so intimate. Because it's these sentences that you have thought about yourself over and over again that your brain has accumulated a lot of evidence for and has a, a large argument for why it is true that you are who you are and why you think you are this way. And let's talk about with identity. I mean, this is something I read this in a book where there's like this joke about vegetarians was the example that was given in this book. And essentially was the way it went was how do you know if someone is a vegetarian and the punchline of the joke was don't worry they'll tell you and I think this is really true this happens and you know these people and the thing is, is this applies to not only vegetarians but you can put in any type of like behavior in there and you know people that, that they tell you and talk to you all about what they do and who they are right whether whether it's like a marathon runner or I will I will say a crossfitter because I fall into this category <laughs> where do people know that I do CrossFit? Yes. And how do they know? Because I tell them 
I tell them all the time, probably too much. But that's because to me, it is more than just a way of exercising. It's become so important to me mentally and emotionally, and it has contributed to what I believe about myself. You know, so much of what I've been able to achieve in a CrossFit workout or over time is developing these beliefs that I am strong and I'm capable of things I didn't know I was capable of. And so if there's something that I don't know how to do, because I have this belief that I am capable of things that I can't yet do, it makes it so much easier to practice and to try and to pursue something that is new to me. Now, yes, this can also apply to runners or different people that eat certain ways, like the whole keto thing. People are super into that right now. When people really apply it to who they are, then they talk about it. But not necessarily because anything about the activities are special, but it's because it's they are sharing a part of themselves in a way. It's it's a part of who I am. It's not just something that I do. This is the mentality, right? Or, or like with an avid chess player. What Ben talks about, what he shares with me and with others is relating to something that is part of who he is because he's good at it and because he loves it and because it's something that challenges him, right? It's as if it's just in their fiber, in our fiber, shall I say, since I can fall into this category, unfortunately for many people. I'm sure I drive many people crazy, but it is what it is. And here is the difference that personally I found experience in that I wanted to share is there was a time where for about a year I didn't eat sugar. It was kind of an experiment and it wasn't even like a weight loss effort and it wasn't something that was coming out of punishment. I'm not suggesting that anyone try this. It matters the choice, the mental space you're in when you make that choice. And so for me, I was in such a good mental space at the time. I thought, you know what? I wonder what it would be like if I just quit eating sugar. It was so curious. It was so open. There were no conditions or conditional self-acceptance upon whether or not I complied. It was just like, let's just try. It felt very experimental. And so for me at the time, I was doing it. And when I would talk about it with people, because they'd say like, oh, like, why aren't you eating that? Whatever. I'd be like, oh, I'm not eating sugar. And they'd ask. They'd be like, well, don't you miss it? Don't you miss the sugar? And I mean, of course I did to a degree, but... When I started saying, I just don't eat sugar. It's just not something that I do. It shifted from, oh, I can't. I can't eat that sugar. I can't. And instead, what ended up happening is instead of making it so that like I wanted the sugar even more, it made everything that used to be really appealing to me sugar-wise almost less than. And here's why. Because I had this identity piece to myself that I had begun to apply, I just don't eat sugar. It's part of who I am. It's a choice that I'm making and it is long-term because that was part of my identity and not just an attempted behavior. I would have urges for sugar still. And I'd be like, oh, that would be good. Oh, I should eat that. Oh, that that would taste so good. I'd have those urges. But because of this identity piece that I had within myself that I just don't eat it. There were so many urges that I had for it that went unanswered. And the more you have urges go unanswered, the weaker they become. So the result of all of this is because of this identity shift that I created for myself, my desire to eat the sugar drastically decreased. This is what was so powerful about doing this. Instead of just forcing a behavior and telling myself, I can't have it, I can't have it, I just have to white knuckle my way through it. I adopted an identity shift. And because of that, it made 
choices for me ahead of time. So then if I had a feeling and urge to do something that was contrary to the choice that I'd already made, I allowed the urge and I didn't resist it. I just was like, yeah, that's all right. I can have this urge, but it's part of who I am to not eat this. And so because of that, I decreased my desire and made it so much easier for myself to continue on with the behavior. And it never came from me telling myself that I couldn't eat it. I can't eat that. It was just a thought that I had adopted as a part of my identity that I don't. Rather than being a chore or a burden to abide by this that I was doing for myself, it was something, it was something that simply I just did not do. And it made it so much clearer for me. And so by defining myself in this new way, a single decision made many subsequent encounters with sugar so much simpler. This type of identity state or shift applies in religious faiths, myself included. So I don't drink alcohol. It's not that I can't have it. It's not that it hasn't been offered to me before. I just don't. Like it's part of how I define myself. And the same way that devout Jews don't eat pork. It's not that they can't. I mean, they could go to the store, they could get some pork real easily, but they just don't. And there are other parts of religious faiths that are this way. And when you can see how the success of a behavior is so much different, when people can really adopt this identity pact, it becomes more clear what is missing if there is something within you that you cannot follow through with. If there is something that you want to execute and just can't seem to, then I would argue rather than changing it, which you can, but I would argue rather than changing it, it's worth considering where your identity is now and where it needs to be. I just finished a book called Indistractable and I really enjoyed it. I would highly recommend it. It was super valuable, especially in today's day and age when we are constantly distracted with so many different things. And this author refers to, I think I said the phrase already, but an identity pact. And it's essentially a series of thoughts that you are thinking about yourself that you implement when you need them. When you need to enforce a behavior, when you need to execute a behavior, you pull out these identity thoughts of who you believe you are and you implement them, you think them, you, you feel them in your body so that then the execution of the behavior becomes so much easier. For example, when I am working, I plan out my calendar very specifically for the week and there are blocks of time where I, it's very clearly laid out what I need to accomplish and if I get too distracted, then accomplishing it becomes much more difficult because not only do I have the missed time from the distraction, but then the refocusing also takes a little extra time and that compounds, right? If I'm working for three hours and I get distracted a hundred times, it's not as efficient. <laughs> and so for me, and this book taught me this, which I feel like was something that I already do, but it just said it so much more eloquently than I ever could, which story of my life. But when I'm working, and I'm in these time blocks where I know it's like I have to be focused. My mantra, and it was the, the identity pack that he offered as well, the author, is I'm indistractable. I, for the next three hours, I am indistractable. So then what that meant for me is I might have a document open and I was, you know, writing together some content for something and I would get an email and I'd see an alert pop up in my browser or on my phone. And instead of being like, oh, I should check that. Oh, should I though? I don't know. Should I? Maybe I should. Maybe it's important. Instead of allowing my brain to do all of that, I had this identity pact within me. Right now, I am indistractable. So any of these shiny objects that 
pop up. And of course, it's helpful to try and eliminate them as much as possible, but they will come. That's the thing is that they're always going to be there. Then that's where these identity packs, identity packs can be so useful is to say, okay, when they come, what I will think, the thought that I am going to consciously choose to think is I am indistractable. I will not allow for other things to distract me. And because it is an adopted part of my identity in that time, those distractions have so much less power over me. I'm not as compelled to look at them because my identity is someone who cannot and will not be distracted. Versus if I went into this time block and just had a thought like, oh, I just need to get this done. Oh, I just, this is supposed to be done in the next three hours. So I just need to do this. I need to do this. Those thoughts feel very urgent to me and they feel a little bit scattered, a little bit rushed. And so when I am feeling urgent and rushed and scattered, those are emotions that aren't super comfortable, nor are they very productive. So then when I see a notification, when something pops up on my phone, I know that I'd get a little dopamine hit from checking that. I know I'd feel just a little bit better for half a second if I were to check that. So because of that, those distractions are incredibly compelling. And it makes it so much more difficult for me to resist those distractions and try to get work done all while I'm feeling emotionally scattered. And this is why if we don't look at the thoughts and feelings driving the behavior, then we would fail. We wouldn't be able to execute it. We wouldn't be able to do it to the level that we were hoping. Because if you are in a mental and emotional state that isn't strategic, that leads you to execute certain actions, then following through on those actions is not going to be appealing and it's going to be very easy to rationalize getting distracted from like if we are hating ourselves and trying to hate ourselves thin and implement a certain diet we're like okay i'm gonna do this but it's really because i hate myself and i will just decide to like myself if i'm thinner if we're coming from that mental space if we're in a constant state of hatred we are going to want some relief from that so relief would come from distractions on our phone on our screens it would come from food All of this is what's so important for us to recognize is that mental space matters so much more for long-term success than the behavior itself. So when it comes to sticking to your diet, this is the necessary piece. It is redefining your identity relative to the behavior. It is consciously deciding what thoughts do I want to think about myself? What do I want to believe about myself? Who do I want to be? more than just what do I want to do. It's so much easier to stick to something when it's part of who you are versus being something that you can't do. Like I'm not allowed to do that. Of course, you're going to want to rebel. And identity shifts have to be conscious before they are unconscious. Everything, like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, everything that you do now that the behaviors that you have repeated over and over again, a lot of that is coming from unconscious programming where initially it was conscious. You had to think consciously about it. It's kind of like when you move into a new house and you have to think consciously about where you put your things in the kitchen. And then eventually you don't even have to think about it. You just go to the utensil drawer. You go to the cupboard with the cups. This is because you've created a change in your mind and you've thought it so many times over and over again that the brain deems it useful and so it puts it onto autopilot so identity shifts will be conscious it will be a conscious redirection of your brain for a while before your brain adapts it as an autopilot identity thought that you will keep running in your mind so for whatever it is that you want to 
execute in your diet or in your exercise programming. You have to potentially notice right now what you believe about yourself relative to those actions. And then consciously decide who you want to be. What type of person, what type of identity is going to be required of you to execute these behaviors and have it clearly defined in a thought. I love this thought of I'm indistractable. It's so easy. Even when I'm like in the kitchen, cleaning, doing dishes, whatever, and my phone beeps, I just think this thought like, oh, I'm indistractable. And even if I'm not working, even if I don't have a clear expectation of myself, it makes it so much easier for me not to just be like that squirrel that just completely deviates when I see any type of shiny object. So this is what I am offering you. I'm challenging you to do is to have a clearly defined thought that you can just throw out in those moments where you might be compelled to do something different. And the more that you practice this, the more that you do this, the more it will eventually go onto autopilot and really truly become a thought that is just there and is a part of who you are. So have an identity pact, have a, have a sentence, a thought that you are deciding to think and be mindful of the can't versus don't. There is a substantial difference between I can't do that or I don't do that. Whatever you are choosing to do, you are the one choosing to do it. So get clear about why you are doing it and ensure that it is a compassionate and loving mental space and not something that's urgent and rushed and scattered and hoping to find some conditional self-acceptance. Instead of just trying on a behavior, consider how you can become the identity of the person who implements that behavior, if that, if that behavior is important to you. So that is all I have for you, everybody. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you next week. Hey, do you have a coach guiding you through your weight journey? If not, I would be so thrilled to be yours. I want to invite you to come work with me in my private one-on-one program where I create an individualized plan for you based on your body in order to create the results that you want. I teach you how to not even want the foods that are sabotaging your physical goals, all while learning how to be more confident, how to feel better, and how to up-level your life. We work to create the body that you want and to feel good doing it. To sign up for a free mini session with me, check out the link in the show notes. I'll see you soon.